one of the goals is I'd like to get out of this meeting alive. That is a reasonable goal. If you're a presenter and you maybe have some bad news, you know, you want to think about that goal. And then you think about what does that goal mean for how I need to present my information to make it persuasive. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the All the Responsibility, None of the Authority podcast, episode 305. I am your host, Nels Davis, and this is the second of two episodes about persuasion. The first episode is at alltheresponsibility.com slash 304 if you missed it. This series started after I gave a few presentations to some executives in my current company, and a few of the other product managers came up to me and they said, whoa, we really liked how you did that. You seem to be very persuasive. Can you give us some tips? And so I thought, well, I do know a few things about this. So I wrote a blog post, actually several blog posts, and you can find those. I'll link it to everything that I mentioned in the show notes. Wrote a couple blog posts, and I did some Facebook Live videos. And this podcast and the previous one are the audio from a couple of those Facebook Live videos that I did about persuasion. So you kind of get a little sense as you listen that it might have come from a video. In addition to the blog posts and the Facebook Live videos in these podcasts, I also created a little bibliography about persuasion. That's in the show notes as well. All of these show notes that I mentioned are at alltheresponsibility.com slash 305. And if you're really interested in persuasion and getting better at it, I will be publishing an online course on persuasion around the end of the year. And if you would like to get more information on that, you can go to secretpmhandbook.com slash persuasion. For more information, you can sign up to be notified when the course is ready, and you can get some free handouts, which I'm working on right now, irrespective of whether you decide to join the course or not. So that's secretpmhandbook.com slash persuasion. There's lots of URLs that I'm mentioning in here. You can always get all of them if you go to alltheresponsibility.com slash 305. That's all you have to remember. If you have additional questions or comments about persuasion techniques and things you'd like to hear me cover in the podcast, actually, whether or not it's about persuasion, let me know. And if you like this episode, please click the like or share button in your podcast app, or you can rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Uh, your reviews and things really help other people find the podcast, and I would love this to have as many people learn about these techniques as possible because I think it's really valuable for everybody. Now, just a reminder that the po this podcast and that previous one are the audio from Facebook Live presentations that I did earlier this year. Uh, you can check again the show notes for links to those videos. And with that, let's get going. I'll just remind you of some of the fundamental things. The first really most important thing about being more persuasive is you have to understand that people fundamentally make decisions emotionally and they justify them rationally. Now, this, as I said before, this is an oversimplification, but it's a very good rule of thumb to work from if you're trying to persuade people. Just to, to remember that you have to convince people at an emotional level if you want them to come along with your idea. And you also then have to give them rational reasons for sticking with you. And so you have to do both those things. If you do them, you're much more likely to be persuasive. This doesn't this isn't a guarantee of being persuasive. You know, if you think about the advertising industry, you know, they're always giving you lots of ads and there's lots of emotional stuff in ads and there's lots of facts in ads. 
and yet you don't always do the thing that the ad tells you to do. It's not 100% certain that this will work. But as you think about the advertising industry as a, as a persuasion industry, trying to persuade you to buy a different brand or something like that, you can see that they all use these techniques, which are to give you an emotional hook and also to give you some facts. You know, they wouldn't be doing that if it didn't have a better effect than all the other things they could try, even if maybe it doesn't, it's not a 100% solution. The other thing I talked about last week, I gave a few tips, uh, and I'll just reiterate them. I'm not going to go into detail on these. Have a goal. Understand what you're trying to get out of, like if you're doing a presentation or if you're trying to sell something. What is your goal? Am I, again, am I trying to sell something? Am I trying to get some executives to make a decision in, in my favor? Am I trying to protect myself from potential blowback from something that might have gone wrong? Um, and your goals can be positive or negative, and you can have more than one goal. You shouldn't have too many. Another thing is use stories, not just facts. And stories are a fundamental way to get emotional connection with your audience. Again, think about advertisements. Most advertisements are little tiny stories. And then they have the, the name of the brand or they throw the brand in there. And that's, be, again, because it works. But obviously when we're doing product management types of persuasion, our stories might be a little different. They might be about our customers. They might be more detailed. They might be about the things the customers try. They're longer than 30 seconds, typically, at any rate. Another key point, pre-handle objections. We'll come back to this a little bit because I have a few more points about it. But acknowledge the things that you don't know as well as the things that you do know and make sure that the audience knows that you're handling the challenges that they might be considering. And a good way to do this, again, is to put yourself in your audience's shoes. And, of course, one thing you, you want to do a lot of uh, as you're doing this, is practice. Practice is really important to help you get your story down and help you understand where things can get messed up and where you can get derailed. And so these Facebook Lives are a characteristic where I don't do that much practicing. I do the, a lot of prep right before. Um, and I depend on the fact that I've actually done a lot, said a lot of these words before in different situations. But if I were going to be doing a topic about persuasion to my executives to convince them maybe to fund a persuasion course for the rest of my colleagues, I would do a lot more prep than I've been doing for my Facebook Lives. Practicing is really good, and, and of course, I'm making a little bit light of my practice for this session, but I, of course, have talked about these topics a lot, and I've written about them a lot, and you might have all heard me talk about them in the, in the past. So the other fundamental things, oftentimes pauses are really great, particularly if you're in an interactive situation. So when I say the word there, wait, there's two different things that I mean. One is wait for a response or wait for somebody in the audience to raise a question. Silence can be very powerful. I can, If I'm talking and I leave a, a silence, a space of silence, people like to fill silences. And if I wait long enough, somebody's going to speak up. And that I can use as a tactic to help create some conversation. It can also be used for myself to help keep myself from talking too much because the other piece of silent of waiting is listening and acknowledging. So some, a lot of times what you do in, in these kinds of situations, in persuasion situations, you might ask a question and then you might not get an answer right away. But don't answer the question yourself, not if you really need an answer from the audience. You wait. You leave the silence there. And eventually somebody's going to speak up, most likely. And then you, then you can start to listen to that answer and maybe respond to that or maybe wait for other people 
to chime in. That often happens once somebody starts to speak, then other folks start to speak as well. Okay, so those are the tips that I provided before. Now I've got a few more that I wanted to talk about. So one of them is the idea of using conversational language. I'll talk a little bit about why this is important and a little bit about what it means, although it's more of a qualitative thing than a quantitative thing. Another point, and this is related to the pre-handling objections, but guiding the listener, the audience, the user, through the obstacles and along the path that you want them to take. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. And then I have an, a really great example of some another guy, Andy Raskin, who's done a, a lot of writing and present, presenting about how to be more persuasive. And I thought I'd share that. And I've also added him to the bibliography of persuasion that I have at the end of the, sh the show note. So let's talk about conversational language a little bit. One of the realities about humans is that we really like conversation. We like to be involved in conversation. And our brains actually have kind of rules that they want to follow related to conversation. So for example, if somebody asks you a question, you're very likely to respond. You, you are put on the hook by your brain to respond to that question. That's just a built-in response that we have as humans. It's sort of part of our language center that we are programmed to respond as humans. Another keyword that our brains listen to is you. When you're talking to someone and you put things into terms for them or you talk about you should do something or what do you think about this or you ask a question, their brains are going to get engaged with that. If they don't want to get involved, then they can resist, but their inclination is going to be to get involved and to answer the question. And if you set the rest of the, the persuasion scenario up, then that will often happen. You know, you can think about, you walk along the street, I, I live near San Francisco, and there's a lot of homeless people in San Francisco, as you know, and a lot of times they'll come up to you and they'll ask you for something. And you know, your, your natural response to that is actually to engage. A lot of times you don't want to engage because it's probably not the right thing to do in many cases. But I always am surprised at how much my initial response is to engage. And, and so that's an interesting thing to note. And that's just an example of how powerful this conversation drive is in our human brain. So what are the things you do? Well, you use the word you a lot when you're talking to, when you're talking to people, when you're trying to persuade them. And you ask questions because that engages them. So those are two things you can do in conversational language. A few other points. I sort of talked about this previously in the, the other persuasion topic. And I, I also have a, a Facebook Live about writing tips. And some of this comes into the writing tips as well. You might check that one out. One of the ideas of writing tips is, is using simpler words rather than more complex words. That often helps using shorter sentences also. Now, when you're talking, it's a little hard to know if you're using short sentences or long sentences. I tend to use long sentences with lots of implicit commas in there. That's just the way that I speak. I have to edit that out of my writing when I do it. I do that naturally in writing as well. And I talked about how to make my writing more readable, readable, how to use readability kind of metrics to help me make the writing more readable. But it's something you also want to apply to your con conversation. That's the conversational language piece. I didn't really talk about it in the previous persuasion. So the other thing, and this is something from that Badass book by Kathy Sear. I highly recommend the book Badass, which is called Making Users Awesome. I think that's the subtitle by a woman named Kathy Sierra, who is awesome. And again, links to the book and to a really great presentation that she gave at the Business of Software Conference in the notes. She talks about conversational language and other things like that. But two of the really, I think, important concepts that don't often come up that she talks about is acknowledging for the 
audience that there are potentially obstacles in their understanding, in their ability to come along with you, and also to point out the path that's typically that you can take in order to achieve the goal. Now, this has different applications in different kinds of persuasion situations. So, for example, if you're trying to persuade an executive team to fund a development project, then the obstacles are going to be the, the, the risks that you know and the risks that you don't know. The path is going to be the ways that you're going to mitigate those risks. That's one of the aspects of the path. It's going to be the way that you're going to redirect maybe the teams to do the work you want them to do in order to achieve the goal of developing this feature, whatever it might be. If you're trying to persuade a user to take on a new feature in your product, so maybe you're doing a, a sales uh, call or maybe you're uh, talking to an existing customer and you want them to start using a feature that they haven't been using. In that case, you might then, the obstacles might be, oh, well, here's the things, you, here's the challenges that you're going to face as you go through. You better have this set of information available and you better have this, this, this. And then, um, but the path is going to be, first you're going to do X, first you're going to, then you're going to do Y. And if you do X, you're going to get 60% of the benefit. And then, and then when you get to Y, you're going to get 80% of the benefit. And if you want to get 100% of the benefit, you go to Z. Whatever the, whatever the right path is, those are things that you can use to help the user reduce their stress about using the feature or whatever it might be. Now, in the course of, in the, in the presentation, just in general, you've often heard this phrase, tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, and then tell them what you told them. And this is another example of the path. Another few things that you might, that you can think about when you're talking about the path is, if you can link the things that you say later to things you said earlier, that's very powerful. It's another, that's a technique if you start watching, if you look at movies, if you know anything about screenwriting or look at movies in sort of a critical way, you can often see this happen in movies where there's a, a little piece of information that's given early on and then that's tied in later on further down the plot or maybe toward the end or something like that. Now the other thing about that is a great example for movies is if they show you something in a movie, if it's a well-constructed movie, it almost always has a meaning for later on. They never, they hardly ever show you things that don't eventually lead to some payoff further down. And that's what I mean about eliminating the extraneous. If you have a lot of points to make, a lot of points that you could make about the thing you're trying to persuade your audience about, or your users or the customer, whoever it might be, if you have a lot of points, but there's some of those points that won't help the won't help you make your argument or that will not be interesting to the to the customer or will cause you to go too long or whatever, leave those out. You don't have to put them in, even if you have them. You might use them later for objection handling or you might never use them. But the point is, if you can't tie them into the rest of the process, the rest of the persuasion piece, there's no reason to put them in. So eliminate those. Even Because what happens is if you put the extraneous stuff in, there's a couple things. One is it confuses your audience. One is it makes you look like you're showing off, oftentimes. So don't do those. That's just the bottom line. Eliminate extraneous things to the degree you can. And one good rule of thumb, actually, is that, you know, it's a rule of threes. You should have three reasons to buy your product. You don't need four. You don't need seven. Three is usually enough for a particular interaction. Two is probably too few, oftentimes. It depends on the situation. But you should think in, the, in terms of threes. And if you have three reasons to go ahead or three reasons why a particular feature is beneficial, those are, that's the way to think about it, the rules of three. And so that's one way to help you eliminate the extraneous. A big reason you're going to talk about the obstacles is that it eliminates anxiety 
on the part of the, the, the audience. The back of their mind is thinking about what is going to actually happen. I know there's going to be dangers. I may not even know what the dangers are, or I may already know what the dangers are. If, those are, if you acknowledge the dangers for your audience and talk about how you get around those dangers, then that is a really powerful way to reduce their anxiety and to increase their feeling that they're likely to achieve the goals that, that they want. If you're doing a demo, there might be some obstacles that you want to talk about in the course of that demo and how you get around them. You know, so for example, uh, if, if a particular feature requires them to bring some data from some other system, that's a typical obstacle that, you know, you might face if you're, if you're developing an application that maybe uses a bunch of data, but they have to bring the data in from another system. If you're, if you're just thinking about that as a prospect, you may think, well, that's going to be a pain in the neck to do that. And, and I, how do I know I'm going to get the data right? And blah, 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 right? So those are the types of concerns that people are going to have. And so if you acknowledge that up front, yeah, so this is one of the pieces you have to do. You have to get the data from one of your systems. And let me show you an easy way to do that. Or let me tell you how other people have done that. Or let me tell you why that's not as painful as you might think it is initially, right? So that's sort of the, the, the way that you would help them understand how to get around the, acknowledge the obstacles, and then understand how to get around the obstacles. That's just sort of some pretty powerful stuff you can do there to help your audience be more comfortable with your solution. Now, if you think about the value and equality, and I've talked about that a couple times in some Facebook Lives, and of course it's in my book and on the blog and things like that, part of the, the, the cost to the customer of your product is not, so part of it is the price, we talked about that, but part of it is the change management. And the change management often comes with a lot of these obstacles. And so if you can do persuasion to convince the customer that the obstacles are not as bad as they fear, that will do a lot to reduce their perceived cost of the change management. Likewise, they have this other cost, perceived cost, of the risk that it won't actually solve their problem. And so this is another area where you can say, well, getting to the point where your problem is solved, you do have to go through these sets of steps. That's sort of the path and potentially the obstacles. And here's what you do to make sure you achieve those goals. So that's another way these concepts of the path and the obstacles can really help with reducing the perceived cost of the risk of your product and also the change management cost of your product. I think they're really useful tools. I think about them all the time. Whenever I'm writing something, I always try to make sure, am I acknowledging the obstacles that my readers are going to face or that the people that are seeing my presentation are going to be worried about? Am I showing how we're going to achieve the goal and how we're going to, what the path is going to be? I always think about that when I'm doing my presentations. So the final thing I want to share is a really cool uh, model to, from this guy named Andy Raskin. He is a sales coach, a storytelling coach, and I first saw this particular thing that he talked about a few years ago. And he's got two really great, actually two sort of, to me, seminal pieces that he has done. And the first one is this one that's about, that sort of analyzes an Elon Musk pitch. This is, this is Elon Musk's uh, pitch for the Powerwall. When he, when he announced the Powerwall at a big thing in San Francisco, I think it was in San Francisco, might have been in San Jose. It was just an amazing 45 minutes that, he, that Elon did on the Powerwall. And so Andy did a little analysis of it, which I think is pretty interesting. And so the title of the piece is Want a Better Pitch? Watch this. And fundamentally, he broke it down into these five topics. 
name the enemy, and in this case, in Elon's case, it was you know climate change and all that. Answer why now? Why are we? Why is this now the time to to look for a real solution to this problem? And that has to do often with the technology that's available, but it may also have to do with the the fact that people are ready for a change. Show what the promised land looks like. Now, the promised land in this context is a world where we have much, you know, where we've managed to control carbon or even uh, eliminated carbon uh, CO2 emissions altogether and and what the benefits of that are. And again, identify obstacles and how you'll overcome them. One of the things that I think is very interesting about all these different persuasion ideas, whether it's Andy Raskin stuff or Kathy Sierra's or the stuff that I've been talking about or what you read in uh, Michael Ch- in, uh, Cialdini's book, uh, pre- Persuasion or Influence, all of those different, all of these different books. There's a lot of r- commonalities, and that's why it sounds. That's why to me, it's something that if you if you look at all these different things, they all say very similar ideas. But anyway, identify the obstacles and how you'll overcome them. That's very similar to what we just talked about, and present evidence that you can do it. So this ties back again to that whole idea that people make decisions emotionally but need to justify them rationally. And so you need to provide evidence that shows, yeah, I am actually capable of providing the solution that I said I could do. It's a Medium post. You can find it on Medium. Want a better pitch? Watch this. There's several different versions of this. And then he has another uh, really great article called the best, I think it's called the best sales pitch I've ever, the best sales deck I've ever seen, something like that. I've got got the list in the in the bibliography. Uh, I also want to recommend again, if you're really interested in persuasion, copywriting is the art of persuasion in writing. Copywriting is what called the stuff that goes in ads, basically, or in marketing. And there's a big, there's an amazing amount of science behind that, science and art. And again, many of the ideas in this presentation are actually from the copywriting world as well, or, or there's similar things in the copywriting world. Things like pre-handling objections, using a conversational tone, speaking to emotions, storytelling, all those things, those all are also covered again in copywriting. But I recommend, there's some really good copywriting podcasts that you can listen to. There's one called the, I think it's called The Art of Copywriting. I'll put a link to that. Copywriting is a really interesting topic, and I think all product managers should study up on copywriting and practice it. There's also a great website called Copy Hackers, and they have, again, I'll put the links in here, they have a, a tutorial Tuesday, every Tuesday morning, at 9 o'clock Pacific time, they do a tutorial on sub-technique of copywriting. And, of course, they have of course they have uh, those archived. You can read those and catch up on the things you missed in the past. So that's the end of part two of my persuasion tips. Hope you enjoyed that and found something useful in the episode. For more on persuasion and for more tips and all those things, go to the show notes at alltheresponsibility.com slash 305. I have a short bibliography there. I have links to all the blog posts and various videos and stuff like that. Now, even in two podcasts, I can't cover everything I know about persuasion, and there's a lot I don't know. So that's why you should take a look at those books. But if you start to make use of some of these ideas, you will become better at persuasion and more confident in general. It'll definitely help you in your job and in your life to start applying these. At least I've found that for myself. And I'm not the only person that thinks persuasion is an important skill. And I'm hoping these tips really help you out. If you like the episode, I'd love it if you could rate it, review it. I'd love to get your comments on it as well, either positive or negative. And if you have additional questions 
on persuasion, again, you can go to the show notes at alltheresponsibility.com slash 305. I'd love to get your comments. And if you have ideas for other podcasts or questions, uh, definitely let me know. Love to get all those. I also want to mention again my upcoming online course on persuasion. For more information on that, to sign up to be notified when it's available, and to get a little handout on persuasion tips, go to secretpmhandbook.com slash persuasion. And until the next episode, this is Nels Davis signing off. Thanks for listening, and I hope you have a great and very productive and persuasive rest of the year. Ignition.